Welcome to Through a Handler's Eyes. I'm Jo Hilda and I'll be interviewing assistance dog handlers Australia-wide. We won't be discussing legalities or training methods, just the journey of the human and their dog. Hi there, and today we'll be speaking to Jess, her assistance dog, Bailey. Jess is from Queensland. She's an owner-trainer that has um, organisation support. How are you doing, Jess? I'm good. How are you? Good. Um, What influenced you in making the decision to have an assistance dog as part of your treatment plan? Um, so I've had dogs and animals my whole life. Um, it was like growing up in a zoo. Um, we had all sorts of <laughs> different animals. Um, and my diagnosis kind of came around almost a bit quick. Um, I had medical troubles for about nine years and then all of a sudden a diagnosis came out of the blue. And um, after a couple of heavy falls, um we came to the decision that I couldn't be by myself um at home so um we made the decision to get an assistance dog because any technological things really didn't fit our lifestyle and um I knew that I always wanted dogs anyway um yeah so I say we in at the time I was in a relationship and um so me and my partner made the decision together um unfortunately that relationship didn't last after getting Bailey um yeah but we knew that me being by myself during the day while he was at work wasn't an option anymore so um that's when we knew we needed something quite substantial. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how? when did you get – Bailey is your first assistance dog? He is. He's my first my first, first dog. Um, yeah. And when did you get him? Uh, he came home on the 5th of January 2018. Ah. Yeah. So tell me a bit about Bailey. Uh, so I got Bailey at 12 weeks old from a rescue. He's a Bull Arab Cross Great Dane. Um, he's now two and a half. He'll be three in October. And he is a cardiac alert and mobility assistance dog. And his first cardiac alert was at six months old. He stopped me fainting with a six-inch knife in my hand. Oh, my goodness. So he saved your life, basically. He's done that on a few occasions now. Bless his cotton socks. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, he. I didn't train the alert. He learned that by himself. I actually got him for faint response and mobility, not necessarily, mm. necessarily alert. And, um, and, yeah, he did that all by himself. And you said he was a rescue. Where did you, what drew you to him? Um, I knew I needed a large breed dog um, because at the time I was looking, I was 130 kilos. Um, so I knew to do mobility, I would need a large breed dog. So we went through 
rescues in and around Brisbane. Um, and he just, he just kind of popped up. So I kind I knew that I had to put feelings aside, <laughs> you know, I would love to adopt them all. Um, but I knew that I needed to test a few. So I contacted the, um, rescue group and explained that I would need to do the Vollard test, the temperament test. Um, and they arranged meetings with the whole litter. So it was, he, he was a litter of three, um, and they were surrendered at six weeks old. Um, so it was him, his sister and his brother. Um, and I tested them all. His sister was very high energy, complete nutcase, bless her. Um, mm-hmm. So I knew she couldn't be assistance. Um, his brother passed the test but wasn't really interested in me. Um, and then I tested him and he passed the test and he was just like lolloping about. And then as I was talking to his foster mum, he then came and laid and fell asleep on my feet. Yeah, so, they tend to pick us, I think. Yes. So that was the moment where I was like, you're coming home with me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so tell us a bit about your journey since you've had him, um, uh, about, you know, any – what's the best thing about having him to start with? Uh, well, um, making the decision to have him was probably the best thing I've done since becoming symptomatic. Um, I was symptomatic at 21, um, diagnosed mm. at 28, um, and it all kind of it happened quite quickly. So um, in the August, I was diagnosed. In the October, we made the decision. He came home in the January. But um, my partner decided to leave in the March. Um, So then I was living by myself. So the whole decision of getting Bailey ended up becoming reality in the fact that I'm now single female living by myself. And I wouldn't be able to do that without Bailey at all. Um, so I have Ellis Danlos syndrome, um, yeah. which is connective tissue disorder, which affects my joints and multiple systems throughout the body. Um, so, and one of the conditions is post autostatic tachycardia syndrome. Um, so, uh, on standing up, um, my blood pressure doesn't regulate, so I faint and have dizzy spells multiple, multiple times a day. So yeah, the ability to, if I do faint in the middle of my floor, I know I'm not stuck there. Bailey will be there. And yeah. I'm able to go out and about by myself without needing someone with me because it was getting to the point where I was having anxiety going to the shopping centre and going into the city because all the things run through your head, like what if I faint, what if I fall, what if this happens, what if this happens. But yeah, 
knowing that I've got Bailey, I can have a dizzy spell in the middle of the street and just hold on to him. Um, yeah, and he alerts you to. He does, um, yeah. He, uh, we don't know what of- he's alerting to. Um, all I know is that he tends to alert on what I would call a slow heart rate rise. Um, yeah. So if I've been stood too long or I've been walking too long, he um, he did lick my ankles during the summer. He would lick my ankles or paw. Um, but during the winter, he tends to just stop. <laughs> yeah. He's like, we're not walking anymore. You need to sit down. Um, and if he feels that I shouldn't sit up, he does a blocking motion where he will block along my knees. So it's yeah. like, he's like, you know, you're not standing up. Um, so yeah, they're, they're the main things that he helps me with, I would say. And, and how, do, how is it when you're out and about? Cause he's a, a big dog and he's not as big as my dog. And I know what the, how I get reacted to. So how do you, I mean, my dog isn't as big as him, I should say, and yeah. I know how I get reacted to. So what um, sort of uh, attention do you get when you're out and about? I am a mixed bag. I've had anything from, you know, your typical, oh, he's so cute, um, because he's got um, fair eyes as well. He's big brown eyes, but he's pink-skinned. So... Um, mm-hmm. I don't know why that has an effect, but it seems to the puppy dog eye effect seems to affect them more. Um, So, yeah, we'll get, you know, oh, my God, he's so cute. Oh, my God, look at that. A lot of them think that he is Labrador and or they're confused that he's not a Labrador. There's still that um, stigma that only Labradors can be assistance dogs or guide dogs. Um, Yeah. So... And because he has a handle, a six-inch handle as well, um, people just assume that he's a guide dog, um, which really confuses yes. when I read something. Um, yes. Well, I, um, I I have said on another show I actually got out of the driver's side. Yes, the I man watched me park my car and got out and said to me, are you blind? <laughs> yeah, I did that with a rental car company. I drove in and the bloke taking over the car was like oh my god and I was like hi and I put my glasses on top of my head and he goes oh my god I thought it was a guide dog and you just drove in I was like what? <laughs> yes <laughs> um the uh, but because Bailey is bull Arab and he's a very tall 40 kilo dog um we then have fear responses too um yes so I attend university and um, on campus, um, if people come from a culture where they see or they've been taught that dogs are a negative in that part of the culture, um, I can get quite heavy phobia responses. Um, so we were waiting at a lift and it was end of day. So there was people coming in and out of the lift and I was waiting to go in and people were coming out and this lady um blocked the entrance of the lift because she just froze like she just could not walk past him and in the end I had to be 
quite stern and say, just, you know, just walk past him. Like, he's not going to bother you because she was just kind of stuck um, and blocking yeah. the entrance to the lift. So, um, and then I've had students run downstairs because I've got into a lift, you know, out of fear. They turn around and suddenly there's a bull Arab in their face. They'll scream in the street. And um, then my biggest negative reaction I've had was I went to Woolworths and because he is a white bull Arab, this gentleman um, decided that he was actually a fake assistance dog and then I was too young to have an assistance dog and I didn't look disabled so how dare I bring a fake assistance dog into Woolworths? Um, which yeah. he then got quite verbal and Bailey put himself in front of me. Um, so I was like, okay, this is going to go quite bad quite quickly. Uh, but then security came over and escorted the gentleman out and I showed them my organisation card and I they – they knew that that was the wrong reaction to have, but they just needed the information to back up, like to prove to him what he was doing was wrong. So the security guard wasn't asking for proof or anything like that. They were just like, look, do you have anything on you? He's really convinced that he's a fake assistance dog. And I just handed them my guide hearing and assistance dog card and they just went, okay. And he was escorted out of the shopping centre. Um so, yeah, having the both ranges kind of makes going out interesting because you're never quite sure on how people are going to react. No. Mm. So do you have a plan now for those things? I find after I've had something for the first time, I sort of formulate a plan so that if it happens again or something similar to that happens again, mm-hmm. I have a response ready. Yes, yeah. Um, so he's been vested now for almost a year and a half. Um, so things kind of come instinct now. So when I get the people yeah. like, oh, he's so cute, I kind of turn around and went, yeah, he and he knows it and he uses it. The eyes are his weapon. Like, and I kind of giggle along with them and, you know, carry on walking. Yeah. Um, with the negative responses, I tend to be like, I like if I have the time and the energy to answer the questions and, you know, try and correct the stigma, um, then I will try and do so if they're happy to. Um, mm-hmm. If they fear and run away, then I just ignore them. But the negative verbal feedback, I just I try and stay quite polite and say no don't step forward you need to walk away I'm not going to have this conversation like I drop the conversation dead because obviously confrontation is going to rise my heart rate if I rise my heart rate I then am at risk of a blackout and a fall and then Bailey's got to work and yeah so I try and drop the conversation dead so hopefully it doesn't get to that (laughs) No, hopefully, and and you know, people can be um, genuinely frightened. Um, there is, pho- you, you know, no phobia is rational. Oh, no. and uh, I was in um, New South Wales once, and 
this young boy screamed. I could hear him screaming and he kept screaming. He was with his mother and he climbed up his mother. He was probably about 12. He was nearly as tall as his mother. But he was obviously absolutely terrified. And I felt bad, but there was nothing I could do. So I just moved away as fast and as quickly as you can. And sometimes those things happen and you have no control and it's no one's fault. Um, It's just those things happen. Mm. And then there are people like happened to me today, um, ladies standing behind me and my dog's covered in do not touch signs and I have an autoimmune disease, don't touch. And um, she's talking to him and I kept saying to him, ignore, ignore. And the lady, I was at the post office, the lady in the line next to me said, yes, I'd love to touch him, but I know you're not supposed to. And I said, yes, and you're not supposed to distract them either. That is a very big <laughs> the lady, thing. The word distract. But the lady kept, yeah, but even after I said that, she kept making the kissy noise and aren't you beautiful, aren't you a lovely boy? And and again, with the COVID stuff going on, we haven't had as much socialisation. Yeah. So haven't been out and about as much as usual. So he's a bit out of the habit of um, he still does it, but when someone keeps at him like that. So have you had any experiences like that where you've asked someone to stop and they keep going? All the time. Like generally he's pretty good and he'll ignore. He kind of looks at them and tilts his head like it's like what on earth. Um, But it's when I'm having a dizzy spell or I'm having a faint and I'm on the floor. Um, yeah. So sometimes I'll have to sit down on curbs or um, wherever I am I have to sit. And people will then decide that that's the perfect time to come and talk to him or they'll be asking him questions. Like they'll, yeah, ask, they'll that- ask him, like, how's mum? And I'm like, What? <laughs> Yes, for an actual fact, don't talk to him right now because he's doing what he's meant to do. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was doing. It's hard. And and I know they're so beautiful. I can understand why people want to talk to them, but please don't. Being an animal lover, it's just like I know, I know where it's coming from, but no. Like I was doing a a talk about assistance dogs a couple of weeks ago and the group came in. And, you know, you can tell who are animal lovers and who are not. Um, Mm. And this one woman was like, you know, oh, you're so beautiful. How are you? Like, oh, my God, I wish I could just touch you. And I was like, okay, what we're going to do is when, well, imagine Bailey's not here. I know it's really hard to do, but he's not here. Um, And then she was like, oh, I've got to, like, um, I'm not going to touch you. I'm not going to touch you. And then she's like, oh, what makes you excitable? And I turned around and went, high-pitched, excited noises. But she didn't click. She didn't click that I was talking about the baby talk. Like, I was like, yeah. we're going to stop talking. We're not going to, like, they just can't not talk. No. And, no. like, it's, I explain it, difficult. like, imagine – it's a squeaky toy to them, like the kissing noises and the, and the excitable high-pitched noises is the same reaction your dog has to a squeaky ball, is that excitable bit. So we need 
to stop the squeaky. <laughs> Yes. I, I have actually said to people, how about if I just touch your baby? Mm-hmm. Well, no. Well, please don't touch my dog. Exactly. <laughs> they get very upset. Yeah. Now, what piece of advice would you give someone that you wish you had got at the beginning of this journey? Oh, my God, so much. Um, it took like three, four months of research and just gathering information and asking questions before I could even think about starting training. Um, I suppose the information on actually what the law is, um, because I just went straight to canine helpers. Um, Mm -hmm. So I knew what to do about training. I knew what tasking he needed to do, all that sort of thing. but. It's taken me a long time for me to get my head around the DDA and what the difference between owner-trained and organised training dogs are um, Mm -hmm. and what the actual DDA is asking for, but also what what the public's rights are with the DDA. Because the stigma of having a fake assistance dog, obviously everyone watches YouTube videos and, you know, the TikTok videos from America. So people instantaneously think that because they're not a Labrador, they're a fake assistance dog. And it's um, so – and the talk that I – So basically getting – yeah, sorry. um, The the talk I did – um, a couple of weeks ago was what their right is um, as a member of the public because I think if I knew what the law was, I would have a stronger response and it wouldn't have taken me so long to work out the reactions and those sayings um, like we were talking about before yeah. um, because I didn't want to be rude like I felt if I said no, I was being rude and it took me a couple of months yeah. to get over that bit and, you know, the realisation that my dog doesn't have to be perfect. The DDA will support me if something does go a little bit awry because they're not robots. They're dogs. They're not no, robots. that's right. Um, and and so basically knowing knowing your rules, your rights and your responsibilities before you go into it. Yes, yeah. Like having that clear description, this is what the DDA, you know, asks for or um, yeah. you need. Um, as long as you meet those, you're fine. Yes. So, yeah. I think okay. Big thing. So what has been your biggest challenge? Biggest challenge? Probably keeping up with his training like if you have a it's very different to having a pet having a pet Mm. you know the training is variously basic you know just sit for a treat and you know going for walks and things like that where the level of training that these dogs do need and the consistency that the training 
needs to be done and working out how your dog works, what your dog responds to, um, yeah. that sort of thing. The higher level of training I had to get my head around and also having the energy to do the training. Um, so during the flare-up to keep consistent, especially during the puppy stages, was quite difficult. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, that is very difficult, isn't it? Um, trying to get them to do things when you really yeah. aren't re- able to do them yourselves. Um, what what did your friends and family, how did they go with you getting an assistance dog? Uh, my family, 100%, like they were, yep, no problems. Like we got him at 12 weeks and I was down visiting my mother within a week. Like they were very supportive and I I think it helped the fact that I needed help. They didn't realise how intense my condition was because obviously I, I try and stay strong, I try and stay independent. Like my ability yeah. does not, well, it does control me, but it doesn't control. It doesn't define you, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think they then realised, oh, she qualifies for an assistance dog. Right, okay. And then they've been so good. Um, I've lost a few friends along the way, um, Yeah. which they weren't friends if they, they did that. Um, but having going out into public and having a flag connected to you 100%, some of my friends couldn't handle. Um, so a couple of my friends have dropped off, but the ones that have stuck around regardless, I know are the ones that are going to stick around. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, so does Bailey have his own Facebook page? or He has tw- an or, um, Instagram Instagram, that was the next one I was trying to think of. Yeah, he has his own. So where would we where would we find Bailey on Instagram? Um so his Instagram is at Bailey Kisses. Um so it's kind of like a personal one with um assistance dogs thrown in the mix. Like it's just like yeah. cute photos of him. He's because he's so expressive. It's it, some of the photos on there is just hilarious. And I go through and I'm like, oh my god, they're so cute. So yeah, at Bailey Kisses. Bailey at Bailey Kisses at Bailey. on Instagram. Yeah. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Um, it's been a pleasure. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we go? Um, no, you pretty much covered it. Really, I'm so glad you're doing something like this, so people can actually access the information because there's still so much unknown from between the public and handlers I think closing the gap and especially medical practitioners and handlers closing the gap is such a big thing now as it becomes more I don't want to say popular but becomes more um prevalent yes yeah in society and people you know who are in those puppy stages or wanting to get an assistance of but don't know where to come we just need to put so much information out there so I want to thank yeah. you for doing that well thank you for being here don't forget to tune in next time thanks for listening if you've got any questions or you would like to be a guest email me at through a handler's eyes at gmail.com 
Bye. Bye.